Alistair Mai. Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of Perspective on Manx Radio. Mish Dolan Mercer. On the programme this week... Honourable Members, we have a full result. Mrs Sharp, Mr Henderson, Mr Greenhill and Mr Mercer all received the required votes. It was a big day for the Legislative Council on Thursday as nine candidates were whittled down to four new members of Timwald's upper chamber. Two were returning members voted back in to serve another five-year term and two were new faces. Kerry Sharp, Bill Henderson, Peter Greenhill and Rob Mercer were the successful nominees now set to serve until February 2025. Over the next hour, we'll learn a little more about the people that got in and a bit about some of those that didn't. On Monday evening, there was a rare opportunity for the general public to put their questions to the LegCo candidates. Liberal Vanin hosted a question and answer session at the Manx Blind Welfare Headquarters in Onken, which was almost full to capacity. Whereas MHKs are elected by the public, members of the Legislative Council are chosen by the House of Keys. So some hold the view that the process means the panel is detached from the general population or even that the process is undemocratic. This event gave people the chance to quiz the candidates who effectively were being chosen by MHKs on behalf of the public. The two-hour discussion from around 7.30 to 9.30 on Monday evening was hosted by Liberal Vannin's chair, Michael Josem. Time now to hear from him and from seven of the nine hopefuls. Good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to the what I think is the first um, time that uh, we've had an opportunity for members of the public to put their questions to the uh, candidates for the Legislative Council. Uh, my name's Michael Josem, and I serve as the chair of the Liberal Vannon team here on the uh, Isle of Man. We've invited all the candidates uh, to, um, to attend, um, and so there were initially ten. Uh, Mr Tim Crookall withdrew late last week, uh, which left us with nine. There were two other candidates who were unable to attend, um, who was um, Dr Hayward um, and Mrs Lily White, who both said that they were, um, had some other long-standing commitments that they, and they, therefore they could not make it this evening. Um, however, we do have the other seven candidates, which is great, and I guess the format for tonight is, uh, to begin with, each of the candidates will be invited to introduce themselves for about two minutes or so, uh, and then uh, thereafter... Each and every one of you as members of the public will be able to to ask whatever questions you like. Um, What I will therefore do is uh, invite um, the candidates to introduce themselves in the order that they were nominated. So to begin with, uh, Bill Henderson. Thank you very much, Mr Chair. Thank you for the intro. Thank you for everyone for coming out on such a rotten night. It's very good of you to come. I'm Bill Henderson and I've been a long-standing and active member of Tinwald and have served in both its branches, predominantly the House of Keys. This has enabled me to build an extensive political experience base but also develop a comprehensive working knowledge of legislation, national strategic policies, government departments and through various government departmental and Council of Ministers and Tinwald committee memberships. My political portfolio is thorough, in-depth, positive and dynamic. I bring continuity, experience, stability. If re-elected, I wish to continue my work in pursuit of everything I have just laid out for my colleagues and Tinwald, but importantly, for our community and our island nation as we strive to enrich our community and progress and evolve on a journey across the international stage. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for taking time out of uh, your evenings to be here. Um, I'm Hafta Hassan. I decided to stand for the role of Legislative Council because I believe that I have skills um, that are required within this role and would like the opportunity to be able to contribute within the remits of Legislative Council to the betterment of the island. Growing up in the Isle of Man was great. It was fun and I had the freedom. Um, I had the freedom to have a childhood, although I have to admit that my 16-year-old self couldn't wait to escape although it was always home and I'm really glad to, I decided to come back. I have a background in biomedical sciences, infectious disease and research, and completed my initial training at Noble's Hospital Pathology Lab. During my time working with DHSC, I was fortunate enough to be able to contribute to the ethical review process um, to research within the department, which is important in ensuring that the Isle of Man is producing good quality and medically sound research. I spent some time, albeit a small amount of time, um, within the private sector, but during this time spent there, I've learned that 
I've learnt a little bit about how small businesses work on the island um, and what this means for not just the employers but for the employees of those employees of those businesses as well. I became involved with an organisation during my time at university called Sense About Science. The aim of this organisation is to ensure good and clear evidence around scientific claims being made, whether this is through advertising the news or policies, and was asked to be an official member for the Ask for Evidence campaign in 2019. As a member of the Muslim community, I was asked to join. Um, I was asked last year to join the Police Inclusion Group. This is an Isle of Man constabula constabulary effort to ensure that all different communities on the island on the island have a voice and feel welcome. Um, this group highlighted the constant effort, efforts that are being made and that are needed within the society to allow us to be better. Throughout my career, I've been nurtured in objectivity, analytical and logical processes, quick learning and providing a critical eye, not for the sole purpose of criticising, but with a view for improvement. My experiences and background in the sciences, research and IT have aided me in standing for this position by equipping me with the skills that a scrutiny heavy role requires. My personal experiences and background have provided me with skills required within roles that have a political or public element. And I believe that it is both of these that would make me an ideal candidate for a role of this nature, and if successful, would relish in the opportunity to be able to contribute to the positive evolution of the, of the island for generations to come. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Husen. Um, next is uh, Mr. Peter Greenhill. Oh, good evening, everybody. We have Timwall members with excellent skills and experience in many different areas. However, I felt that in a rapidly changing international business environment, there was a significant gap that I could help to fill. Starting right now and continuing over the next few years, the impact of Brexit will provide significant opportunities, but also significant challenges to the Isle of Man's economy. A strong growing economy is vital to the island. It creates more jobs, not just in advocates, accountants and recruitment companies, but also in shops, trades, restaurants, schools, healthcare, the whole island. There's a multiplier effect of every pound that's earned and spent here and that's what generates the money that then can be spent in healthcare, education, infrastructure, addressing climate change, and being able to help to handle events such as the coronavirus and the collapse of Flybeak. My experience, work ethic, and personal skills can really help with the legislation that will enable the island to succeed and prosper through these demanding times. I have over 40 years of international business experience as a director, managing director, and CEO living in the UK, Sweden, Hungary, and of course, the Isle of Man. My breadth of experience includes international banking, e-business, manufacturing, technology, national lotteries, and e-gaming. I've set up subsidiaries in new countries, taken an SME from seven staff to over 200, and have taken a company through a UK market listing as CEO. My wife and I moved to this wonderful island seven years ago when we increased the number of green hills by the sea and green hills encircling our flocks by two. I was contracted by the Department for Enterprise to move here as Chief Executive Officer of e-business and e-gaming to grow those sectors. After a successful two and a half years, I returned to the private sector to continue that mission, but of course, we stayed here. I have had the privilege to help the community as a member of the Arts Council for around 18 months, and in addition, I continued my long service as a football referee where I'm used to around 50% of people disagreeing with my actions and my decisions. That may help me to prepare me if I'm successful in the elections this week. Good evening, everyone. My name's Kerry Sharp, and for the last two years, I've had the pleasure and the privilege of serving on the Legislative Council. I'm here tonight because I want to continue the important work this administration has already started in helping to improve the quality of life for the people of the Isle of Man. I'm from Laxey. I had a fairly typical 1970s working class upbringing. My dad was a toolmaker at Ronaldsway Aircraft Company and my mum was a homemaker. Without wanting to sound too much like a Monty Python sketch, we did have ice on the inside of the bedroom windows on winter mornings and the height of indulgence was getting a 99 flake in your ice cream. I went to Laxey School, Ramsey Grammar School and the University of Cambridge to study English. I travelled solo across the globe and then worked my way into TV, producing and directing over 100 programmes for the BBC, ITV and Channel 4. Returning home, I met Ian Sharp, Ramsey boy, IT consultant and British Paralympian. He was back from London to see his mum for Christmas. 
17 years later, we're married and living in Laxey with two wonderful daughters. In 2013, I started writing a book about the history of looked-after children in the Isle of Man. It changed my life. It indirectly led to the Notfield Inquiry, my becoming an MLC and a member of the Department of Health and Social Care and political lead for children's services. Together with colleagues, I've prompted new legislation, policies and strategies which will all have a positive effect on the lives of our children who are in care. I might not have been able to change the past, but I have made the future better for some. I believe I have a solid foundation in scrutiny and the workings of government to build on, and I'm hoping members of the House of Keys will give me the opportunity to continue our work over the next five years together. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Rob Mercer, and I'm a candidate for election to the Legislative Council. I would like to thank Lib Vanin for organising this event and for giving you the opportunity to scrutinise the candidates you see before you. In 1998, my family and I made our home in the community of Port St Mary. I'm standing because I want to see our island flourish for the benefit of all its people and to help enable the just transition of our economy. The Isle of Man finds itself at a time of transition and global changes, which will be far-reaching. My career and life experience to date has prepared me for the challenges we now face. Working in local government, financial, service, financial services and e-gaming, as well as running my own IT consultancy, has trained me to meet change head-on. Absorbing Knowledge, managing change and identifying areas to improve or refine have been the key demands of my working life to date. A working life whose experience will allow me to bring an additional and alternative perspective to the scrutiny of legislation and government. As one of many champions for the sustainability and future of our island, I have helped drive change from the outside by lobbying evidence gathering and detailed scrutiny of existing governance, all abilities crucial to the work of an MLC. I believe in the power of the people's voice, and I would make sure that voice is reflected in the Legislative Council. I'm a member of the public, just like you. I'm not a member of the establishment. I know that things must change, just as you do. That's why I'm standing for MLC, to serve our island, to serve you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Zahid Mir. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, my name is Zahid Mir. I'm an experienced economist and I've been living in the Isle of Man since 2003. I now call the Isle of Man my home. I am involved in various social and community um, events such as like the Young Farmers. I get involved in the parish, end-to-end -end cycling and so forth. With regards to work, um, as my background suggests, I'm an economist and trained in statistics. So one of my first roles when I moved over to the Isle of Man was working in the Economic Affairs Division. I was responsible for collection and collation of government statistics, uh, the inflation figures, unemployment, national income accounts. And I was also responsible for many, uh, involved in many of the surveys that take place, such as the Census, the Household Income and Expenditure Survey. So I know a lot about government statistics, what they use for, uh, the advantage, the strengths and the weaknesses. When I left the Economics Division, I moved to the Office of Fair Trading and my new DEFA role. Now, during this time, I learned a lot about the parliamentary and legislative process. I've been involved in the consultation of bills. I've also helped write the drafting instructions and various explanatory notes. During my time, I've also been in communication with civil servants in the UK to ensure that the bills that are being drafted are fit for purpose, that meet international standards, and they're also reasonable, necessary, and proportionate. Finally, bills should always be clear and easy to understand, so members of the public should be able to read any document and should be able to have a better understanding of what it's about. It shouldn't just be gibberish. I have been involved in the Brexit process, and I know it's been very, very demanding. Post-Brexit, the devil will always be in the detail, uh, for example, with relation with regards to, say, tr any future trade deal, and we'll need detailed scrutiny in this area, and my experience with my, in my regulatory capacity, I think I've got a lot to offer in this area. 
Now, with my Office of Fair Trading hat, I've been involved in multiple investigations over the years. And this has involved the collection and collation of evidence, examining data, emails, what's relevant, what is not, interviewing individuals as well, and also being fair and impartial, which I think would be helpful in a committee setting. So really, um, I have considerable knowledge of government operations. I'm familiar with the programme for government and the legislative process. And with my economic statistical regulatory hat on, I feel I can add a lot of value to this particular role. And although I do appreciate there's a lot to learn, I'm more than willing to put in the time and effort. And I believe I can add a lot of value to the MLC role and continue serving the Isle of Man. Thank you, sir. And then finally, Danielle Bell. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Danielle Bell, and I was brought up on our beautiful island. I went to Balaguel, Murray's Road, Park Road, and St Ninian's. Although my upbringing wasn't always pleasant, I have suffered many adverse childhood experiences, and I come from a deprived background. My parents in unstable employment put a strain on finances, and I have lived experience of being in poverty, and that caused a lot of stress and conflict in the home. But on a positive note, I'm aware of the opportunities this island provides, especially through our great education system. There was little educational expectations for me, as expected, um, but I overcome that. I was the first out of my family to do A-levels and go to university. Without the financial support, I wouldn't be here today. Whilst I was at university, I suffered a near-fatal fall through suffering significant injuries, including breaking my neck, I had to learn how to walk again. This encouraged me to want to promote healthier lifestyles when I returned to the island from university. In order for me to achieve this, I created a unique role as a healthier outcomes worker through the Children's Centre. This opened up various opportunities, such as getting involved with the Commonwealth Games Association of the Isle of Man, where I got to travel to lots of different countries and represent, represent our island, including organising the Queen's Baton Relay. I became a chair-based exercise instructor and trainer, as well as a stop smoking advisor for public health. I was also supporting overweight children as a Fit for the Future coordinator through Manx Sport and Recreation, and now as a senior health improvement officer at the Public Health Directorate. And I'm also the newly um, appointed parent governor for Cronkerberry School. Quite often, public health is seen in regards to healthcare and healthy behaviours. However, it goes beyond, and this looks into the socio-economic and environmental factors which cause inequalities in our society. I was at an inequalities conference in Westminster last week, and Noel Williams, who is a policy advisor for Lord Michael Hastings, quoted, It doesn't matter where you started, it matters where you are going. Although I'm aware that evidence tells us the early years do matter and the impact that adverse childhood experiences can have on individuals, I've managed to use my negative life experience as my motivation and determination to be effective and give back to our island community. Therefore, I believe that this, in addition to the wide-ranging skills developed through my career, can be well utilised for the Legislative, legislative Council and contribute to our unique Parliament. Thank you. Fast am I. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. We just heard from seven of the nine Legislative Council nominees who were speaking at a public question and answer session on Monday evening. Those candidates were Bill Henderson, Hafiza Hussein, Peter Greenhill, Kerry Sharp, Rob Mercer, Zahed Mir and Danielle Bell, with Michelle Hayward and Carol Lillywhite unable to be there. There were originally 10 hopefuls, but Tim Crookall withdrew from the running with the intention of standing for the House of Keys next year instead. I mentioned at the top of the programme that whereas MHKs are elected by the public, members of the Legislative Council are chosen by the House of Keys. Perhaps inevitably, the idea of a publicly elected Legislative Council didn't take long to be brought up. Okay, got another question? Yeah. Hi, thank you. I just wonder if you think the roles and structure of MLCs are outdated and whether you'd support um, being publicly elected uh, to be a candidate and would you um, actually stand if you were going to be publicly elected? 
I'll take the first stab at it. You say, is the role outdated and should they be public, publicly elected, basically? Right, okay. If you think of years ago, you probably, you know, there was calls about LegCo and all the rest of it, and it's gone under, it's been reviewed and reviewed, and there's a lot of changes come about in the Legislative Council Tinmold over the last few years. Um, for instance, all the some of the officers that were there and so on, that's all gone. It's all people elected by the House of Keys now, apart from the uh, Lord Bishop and the Attorney General, obviously. Far more um, democratic in a way, if I can put it like that, House of Keys elects Legislative Council. Most big parliaments in the world have got a second revision chamber to examine the legislation so it can be right as it can be for the people it's going to affect. and. Really, if you're going to do that, you need to have a second look, and that's partly what LegCo is about. Nothing outdated there, in my view. And the other big element of LegCo is that it provides a check and balance on the executive as well, where LegCo can actually block things or cause a pause to be made so that legislation can be re-looked at, can be amended, or if in Tinwald, if LegCo vote a different way to the House of Keys or the Council of Ministers initiative that may be on the floor at the time, it can actually cause a delay such as we um, saw in climate change in the initial stages of the uh, report that came along. It's LegCo that put the brakes on, caused a lot more dialogue, and a better solution came back a while later at a further Tinwall sitting. So those two elements alone should be cherished, really important for our system and any sort of um, uh, mature democracy in that way. But LegCo can go further, and I believe there are further improvements we can make to Legislative Council in better representation of minority groups, better engagement with the public. And, and you're right, looking back a few years ago, no one heard of LegCo really. They were sort of hidden away behind the Keys members or at the back of Tinwald, and I think it's time now, certainly from if I was re-elected, bring the LegCo forward and let the people see what really goes on. There's different views. I like the sound of a democratically people's elected LegCo, but then, as all the other reviews have found out, and the recent Liz Vane review, which examined Tinwald in minutiae, he reckoned the current system, the bones of it, was in pretty good shape. But if you have directly elected MLCs, then you're running into what was coined a few years ago, the super MLC, where they could become, as in other senates around the world, a sort of quasi-senate, similar power almost, you know, there's a two MHKs and we don't want a conflict, we want a consensus tin, well that's given us the current results. So it's a hard one to configure that, for me, sounds good. Maybe we need to do more work on it and have a further review to see how that could be developed in a better way. Um, so. Yep. so I think that there is definitely a call for more public involvement um, for and definitely engagement for the roles um, and for the candidates that are standing forward to be able to you know, be um, put on TMLC. Um, and I think that, to answer your question about uh, are the roles outdated or, or, or not, I think that the, the role of... LegCo, as I see it, or that's been explained to me, or that I've I've learned through through reading and being present, um, I think that there's a, there's a need for it, and that's that's why I'm standing here, and that's why I'm standing for it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm aware that if there was, you, like like Bill said about the the public, if it was publicly elected, we would then need to look at the structure of Tinwald and how that would work, and that would require some more effort. I'm not saying it shouldn't be done, um, but it's there's that as well. Um, and um, there would be, you know, there would the the process the process does need looking at, and I think that the business of ten, of um, legislative council is being looked at, and what what's actually what the role of legislative council and what the role of the members of the council are is definitely being looked at, um, and it's important that there maintains a balance between the chambers. But to answer your question about would would I have still stood for this position had it if it was publicly elected? Yes, I would have. <laughs> um, I don't think that. You know, it's not it's not about 
trying to get into Turnwald by not being publicly elected or anything like that. It's the reason I stood for this role was because I think I have skills that fit this role rather than that of an MHK. So yes, I would be, you know, I would be open to looking and definitely debating about how um, change for legislative council can go forward in the future because we are living in a society that is changing um, and we are living in a society where we want to see the people that are essentially making decisions more accountable and you want to see where you know where that pro thought process is and where their views are and, and what they're putting first and as a member of the public yes that's something I would I would want to see thank you very much Peter yeah we need a LegCo that's made up of the best mix of skilled people on top that are available at that time but then we need a process that encourages those most suitable people and skilled people to stand. And on top of that, we need a process to elect them that meets the most, that, that proves they are the most suitable and skilled. The, the skills between the two are going to be different, so we need to look at how we would have a process that would take that into account. I'm very open to hear proposals of how such a process that includes the members being elected by the population uh, can happen. So then I can better judge that against the process we're going through now to elect nine people. I can see there will be differences and let's hear what they are, how we can do it properly and get the right people in place. We have to have that mix there. Thank you. Zahid? All right. Um, so I suppose to answer your question uh, regarding the MLC role and should they be publicly elected, I'll probably just explain why I didn't put my name forward as, for example, I know there's an election coming up next year. Um, I was looking at the role of MLC uh, since, uh, since last summer. I went over to find out a bit more about the role. I spoke to the president and the speaker. I went through the detail about what they do on a daily, day-to-day -day basis with existing MLCs. And the reason why I stood for the MLC role was simply because my skill set regarding statistics, research and analysis, uh, I undertake a lot of legislation work as well. I review things, make sure they're fit for purpose in the Alamance, so it kind of suited more the MLC role rather than the MHK role. That's that's why I stood for it. Now, in regards to whether or not it should be democratically elected or not, at the moment, um, I'm open to any form of change, but if we were to go down the route of a democratically elected, the, the MLCs would have an all-island mandate, and they'd, the worth, they'd be three times as valuable as the existing MHK. At the moment, the MHK has quite rightly been democratically elected, so if there's ever a, an issue, the MHKs can, in effect, um, overrule the MLCs. It doesn't clearly it shouldn't work the other way around. So if the MLCs became publicly elected, who's going to have the more power? There'll be more tension. Now, that's not to say it should, the status quo should remain. I'm always open to change, but whatever system you go to, there should be improvements to whatever that may be. So I'm all open for change. It's just when you make, and it, like any any decision in your life, business, social, or anything else, you want to know that there's some, some something better, basically. How is this new system going to be better than what we've got? Thank you. So in terms of publicly elected, then yes, I would go through that process. I would be happy to do that process. But do I think that's appropriate? No, I don't. Um, I think there's a lot to say for the hierarchy that um, is there between um, Keys and Legislative Council, and that kind of goes on from what um, Zahid was saying in terms of island-wide constituents, um, because compared to MHKs who only have the, the limited number of constituents, then potentially there'll be more votes um, for the MLCs <coughs> to take. So then that might cause that, that um, um, kind of affect the balance and cause conflicts, when, whenever anything that the um, LegCo are trying to push forwards, if they feel actually the keys are pushing back, but they've got more votes, then it's kind of that conflict of, well, why, why should you have uh, more say when I've got a, a larger mandate than, than you had initially? So it's, it's trying to avoid any kind of conflicts and balance issues that, that don't exist currently. Um, I could think quite rightly that um, LegCo is seen as that revising chamber, so I, I would kind of... It, I can't see what, I don't understand what would happen if there wasn't that kind of hierarchy in place. It would then kind of feel like you were more of a, a unicameral um, parliament rather than the tricameral, which being the only tricameral parliament kind of makes us special. So to kind of step away from that, it's, I think there needs to be a lot more thought. A kind of idea around what um, might be a possibility, well, that is going to be a long process, is doing more things like this. 
so holding public customs, but maybe a lot more throughout the process, and then um, the MHKs can actually go to their constituents and vice versa and actually discuss the candidates, and having that feedback from their constituents can help them infor inform the MHKs to make their decision of who actually gets put forwards. Thank you. And Rob? Um, so, should NLCs be publicly elected? Yes. Um, would I still stand if it was a public election? Yes, I would, because I think my skills are suited for the role of scrutiny. Um, taking in um, your point, sir, the, um, uh, about the, uh, as long as there's no confusion between the role of LegCo and the role of an, of an MHK, then I think that the problem of an MLC having more votes than an MHK goes away, as long as that's managed sensitively. Um, the role of Legislative Council is, is very much about improving governance. It's, a point, it's to challenge the executive, and all those things are vital parts of that role. Um, ultimately, what we're looking for is, is a healthy democracy, and I, I think the... The two sides, the you know the, the, the Keys and Legco, and then coming together in Timwald, um, is actually a very sensible way of arranging things. But there's a lack of dem democratic process because the way MLCs are currently elected is via an electoral college. So your MHKs elect us. It does mean, of course, that since the um, they got rid of the secret ballot. Um, you can you now know who's voted and what and you can go and you can go and scrutinize your MHK and you can ask them why did you vote for a particular candidate that's an improvement you couldn't do that before um, so I think it's moving prob probably inexorably towards um, a public election for MLCs thank you very much and finally Kerry thank you um, so uh, the first question was uh, is LegCo outdated um, I always think you wouldn't spend £200,000 on a house without asking for a surveyor to, to run a second pair of eyes, you know, before you committed to making a major decision. And when it comes to legislation, um, that legislation is going to be with the people of the Isle of Man for hundreds of years. So um, I don't think you're ever going to not need a second pair of eyes, a second layer of scrutiny in order to make sure that you are making the right decisions. Um, in terms of public election, I mean, it, I think it does seem undemocratic, certainly, for the public not to vote for the MLCs. Um, I can kind of see why the system has evolved as it is, in that if it was just an open election, you know, you could, in theory, end up with eight lawyers. You know, the people of the Isle of Man just might happen to vote for eight lawyers. And that's not going to help you because you're not going to get the diversity of points of view that you need from a whole range of different professionals. So at the moment, the way the system works is that MHKs can look at the team of LegCo and see where the gaps are and think, well, we need someone with financial knowledge. We need somebody with you know, an another type of relevant knowledge there. Um, so they can actually control that balance quite well. Um, I mean... At the end of the day, um, the, the idea that you could end up with MLCs who've had more votes than the MHKs, it could cause um, a power imbalance within Timwood because um, what you don't want to get away from is the fact that the keys are representing the will of the people of the Isle of Man and that that will has to be able to prevail. Um, I mean, one solution might be possibly to have a panel um, to choose MLCs, so you might say um, advertise the role um, of MLCs and then those people get interviewed by a, a panel which is made up of disparate members of the community and then they choose a team that fits together. That's possibly one solution. Well, I just say that it sounds very much like the old say, turkeys won't go <laughs> Because that's what it's sounding like, apart from one gentleman who's been honest and said he would do away with it. And the fact that the panel seem to think that the ML, uh, MHKs have got some divine right, that they have the knowledge and know how to vote for these people in, and the rest of us... We're just the outsiders, you know. We 
we managed very well to vote a house of keys in a very diverse group of people some I agree with some I don't but why are we not trusted to vote in our own upper house this thing about they've got more power no they haven't there's seven elected members or nine elected members they will have one vote the house of keys has 24 members it's got nearly three times as many votes a house of keys will always win out and anything else is rubbish well house of the will of the keys will always win out and that's how it should be because they represent the will of the people there seems to be this idea that the House of Keys can elect people on our behalf. That's not democratic. If we're having a second house who are drawn quite a nice salary and all the other benefits that go with it, then we as the public, people of this island, should elect who we wanted. And we may not want seven lawyers, we may want seven dustmen. That doesn't matter. It's up to the people to decide who we want. Well, if that, if that ended up being the will of the people then, and, and it went through keys, then that's what would happen. We heard there from seven of the nine Legislative Council hopefuls from this week's election, discussing their views on whether the roles are outdated, whether they'd support being publicly elected and whether they would stand if it was a public election. Four of those seven were successful. Kerry Sharp, Bill Henderson, Peter Greenhill and Rob Mercer. They were appearing at a public Q&A session on Monday night ahead of the election to face questions at a forum hosted by Liberal Vanin. The candidates were quizzed on a number of topics from pension schemes to healthcare structures. They were also asked another question relating to the function of LegCo, the debate of whether or not upper chamber members should have roles in government departments. In the middle. If you were lucky enough to be elected, would you refuse to have... um a departmental role for the salary uplift or would you um, stay independent and scrutinise government? Well, sorry, I don't want to step on anybody, anybody's toes. Simple answer to that is there's a pay review undergoing at the minute looking at MHK, MLC, differential between the two, departmental pay, and it's looking at a much fairer system. Um, so I'm up for any change that puts more fairness in, let's put it that way. Working on a department, yes, I would work on a department, and I'll tell you why, if I just don't want to push my time limit. The experience I've gained working on different departments is incredible and invaluable, and the experience you gain in departments, you can bring that back to Legislative Council. You can also represent legislation in Legislative Council and be scrutinised by seven other people as well. So I find it incredibly important in that way. Some people say, oh, it's not democratic. You're um, um, thinged with influenced from the department and all the rest of it. But when you work in LegCo, there's seven other voting colleagues against you. So you have to put up a pretty good argument. And they know that. And they'll put stiffer examination back on you as part of the scrutiny process. For me, personally, with the experience that I've had... I'd say not. You can be, if I represent Treasury or the DHSS as was and put some legislation to LegCo, people can say, oh, you're on the department, you're um, marginalised, you know, all the rest of it. But when you think about it, there's seven other voting colleagues. So you're only one person against seven others that you've got to convince, you've got to answer all their questions, and they know you're on the department, and they've given me a pretty rough time in there from time. Not rough, but in-depth examination. And if I don't know me onions, somebody who isn't on a department, you have to learn a steep learning curve, and you won't have it all. Whereas if you're on a department, you're in from the inception of that legislation, the actual drafting, the ideas, the policy behind it, you can really explain it properly and fully in there. That's what I've found anyway. Thank you, Bill. Um, uh, for me, to, to answer your question, would I be uh, willing to to, start, to be in a department? My answer to that um, is no. Um, and my view for this kind of stems from my understanding of what the role of LegCo is, um, which is to, that scrutiny-focused role um, and creating a better balance with regards of members of Tinwald you know, being in departments. I believe that um, in order to provide the to provide a, a good um, 
good scrutiny of legislation and through scrutiny committees, it's it's important that you maintain some objectivity, um, um, and and you know not being in a department would would provide that. Um, there's also the element that that we aren't as it currently stands elected uh, by the by the member of the by the pub public, so there'd be friction in that regard. Um, I obviously acknowledge that there's there's um, there's experience and there's benefits of, of being within a role um, within a department and, and understanding the work that's gone on behind uh, a piece that's trying to come through. Um, but I think that it could be achieved in, in other ways. Um, for example, if members of the council were, were called in by departments for particular for particular uh, um, to offer particular uh, you know critical eye based on the you know unique skill set for a particular piece that's going through or or a, or a section. Um, and this is actually something interesting because when I started the process, um, I was very much like I would really like the experience um, and I think it would be really good. But actually going through and and looking through everything um, and you know this whole process is actually within myself I've, I've come round to that and gone well actually no I don't think it's something I would personally be comfortable with so no <laughs> yeah firstly I mean the key functions of LegCo are to promote examine and scrutinize new leg legislation and to scrutinize government as well but in addition to that I fully understand why members are called on to take roles in government or, or Timwald MLCs if ministers believe uh, that further to working on those secure uh, scrutiny tasks my skill set and experience in international business and development of the island's economy will be most beneficial if applied to a department, and I'd be pleased to discuss that with them and help wherever I can. Yeah, so, all right, thank you. Yeah, for me personally, would I serve in a department? The answer is yes, provisionally, assuming again I could add value and can carry on scrutiny work even within the department. I've worked in government for 17 years, and contrary to what people think, it is possible to scrutinise and refine policy and legislation even within the department. So to answer your question, yes, I would do. Uh, there are other benefits in the fact that you can take a piece of legislation and obviously take it to LegCo uh, and explain the benefits to that as well. Um, for me personally as well, um, if there was something um, that you know, if I didn't particularly agree to something, um, would I st ever stand down from a particular role as a department? And the simple answer is yes, I, I would as well. So I'm not doing it for, for the remuneration. Remuneration with anything in life, you do want something to keep yourself going. But that's not the sole driver why I'm putting my name forward as an MLC. Yeah. I think what we need to remember is we are still a relatively small parliament <coughs> for the amount of work that we actually need to achieve on the Isle of Man. And in regards to that, if if there are skills that are needed within a department and I had those skills, then I wouldn't be saying no to that. Um, working within a government, government department at present, I'm always, my work is to scrutinise. I'm scrutinising services that are out there and I do that at the moment through different needs assessments to make sure that what we're providing for the island residents it is as it should be. Now, if I was working within a department, I know that my role wouldn't be down to that detail, but still, I believe that the people that you'd be working with would be doing that amount of scrutiny, and then you would be scrutinising above that. So whether, whether it's within a department, or you're on one of the scrutiny committees, or even both, then I believe that you would just provide as much scrutiny as you can, whether you're bringing things through, or you're, you're looking from the outset. Um, I think that there are um, those areas of conflict that are addressed. So if you're on, say, the Social Policy Review Committee, then you're not then going to be in Department for Education, um, Sport and Culture, Department of Health and Social Care, or Home Affairs, because then you can't be within a department and then be scrutinising it from the outside directly. So although you will be scrutinising elements from both sides, you're not, you, there isn't going to be so much of that conflict, because as long as you're doing your job properly in scrutinising from whichever stance, then I believe that you can within the department as well. Um, it's, uh, it's a, it is actually a bit of a loaded question. Um, the, the people who elect us, um, you know, maybe there's a 50-50 split as to, to, you know, what's the right way to get the right vote to, to answer this question. But from my, from my own point of view here, is I would not, I would not work in a department and I would take the, the observation that the new MLCs who stood last time around, many of them are not working in a department and their reasons, their reasons for doing so I find compelling. And so 
Um, it, it, I would still consider working on committees because it's a scrutiny role on a committee. Same on a statutory board from a non-executive uh, role type of basis. Um, but I have to observe and learn from what has gone before. And at that point, at this point in time, I would say no, I would not take uh, membership of the department. And there's another reason for that is we're looking at transformation, and quite often transformation happens across departments. And if you're sat in a department, then it's very, very, it's very easy to be drawn into the work of that department to, to the detriment of considering the wider picture. And so I think that's an important element and another reason why I would uh, not take membership. Kerry? Um, thank you. Uh, I would say, well, I'm a member. I'm still a member of the Department of Health and Social Care um, until I either am returned or, or replaced. Um, so uh, I can talk from that point of view. Um, I think on the outside, um, it, it certainly does not seem to make sense um, to have members who are part of a scrutiny body also being members of a department. Um, I think you can go back as far as Aristotle for this ideal model of um, democracy, which is you, you keep your executive and your legislature absolutely separate. Um, but these bodies have to be able to communicate with each other and understand each other. And I think that um, that's what I've found through being a member of the Department of Health. Um, you get to sort of see... Um, how decisions are made at a strategic level, and also you get to see all the day-to-day -day problems as well uh, of implementing legislation. So that in itself has served as a, as a really good way of me understanding the workings of government being a member. Um, I think um, if you look at uh, governments across the world or parliaments across the world that have sustained for a very long time Westminster and Timwald are two of the, the, the you know the longest governments that, in operation and um, of all um, parliaments these two are the ones where you get the most crossover so there is something about those grey areas that, that can actually be quite helpful um, I don't think that uh, uh, it means that you don't scrutinise otherwise I mean I'm a member of the department but I'm also um, on the whistleblowing committee um, I served on the um, committee looking at accommodation for vulnerable young people um, on the board of Year of Our Island. Um, so you, you, you're still scrutinising outside of that department. I think the most important thing to, to bear in mind is just to have boundaries so that you're not overstepping them. You're not trying to tell the professionals what to do. Um, you're, you're, you're in there to help and to scrutinise. We've been listening to extracts from a public question and answer session on Monday evening, hosted by Liberal Vannin, with seven candidates for LegCo, four of whom got in in the election this Thursday. Let's listen into the moment they found out after a brief explanation of the process from the Speaker of the House of Keys, Dewan Watterson. The vote will take place on each candidate separately, with the voting screens remaining blank, including my own. Members may vote for or against any of the candidates as they see fit, including more than one candidate, but they may not abstain. A vote will be concluded only when everyone has voted on every candidate. Once a round of voting has ended, I will announce the number of votes cast in favour of each candidate. A majority of votes of members present and voting is required to entitle a candidate to be elected. At the moment, honourable members, that means 12 votes in favour. If more than one candidate receives 12 votes, then the person with the highest vote wins, and unless all seats are filled, there will be a further round of voting. I will be opening the screens in the order in which they appear on the order paper. <coughs> Everybody has now voted. I'm going to close the screen. Honourable members, we have a full result. Oh. Now, I will read out the... Uh, the votes of all, that all candidates have received. However, I will announce the result first, because it's not fair to keep you in suspense. Um, all have received the required votes for a five-year term in Legislative Council, and they are as follows. Mrs Sharp, Mr Henderson, Mr Greenhill, and Mr Mercer all received the required votes. Um, I'll say Mrs Sharp received 19 votes. Mr Henderson received 15 votes. Mr Greenhill received 14 votes. Mr Mercer received 
13 votes. Mr Meir received 11 votes. Ms Hayward received 9 votes. Mrs Lillywhite received 5 votes. Ms Bell achieved 3 votes. And Ms Hewson got no votes. To my surprise, and perhaps yours as well, that concludes the election process for four <laughs> members for the Legislative Council. So, all four were elected at the first time of asking. I'm no statistician, but I suspect that was fairly improbable. What we didn't know at that time was which MHKs voted for which LegCo candidates. There were 23 MHKs voting. Kerry Sharp topped the poll with 19 votes. Only Anne Corlett, Graham Crudine, Lawrence Skelly and Chris Thomas did not vote for her. Bill Henderson came second with 15. He convinced everyone except Dr Alex Allenson, Claire Barber, Daphne Kane, Rob Callister, Kate Costain, Julie Edge, Laurie Hooper and Dewan Watterson. Voting for Peter Greenhill were 14 MHKs. David Ashford, Dr Alex Allenson, Claire Barber, Geoffrey Boot, Alf Cannon, Anne Corlett, Graham Crudine, Ray Harmer, Ralph Peake, Howard Quayle, Chris Robertshaw, Bill Shimmins, Lawrence Skelly and Dewan Watterson. And in fourth, Rob Mercer gained the trust of 13 out of the 23 MHKs. Dr Alex Allenson, Claire Barber, Daphne Kane, Rob Callister, Alf Cannon, Kate Costain, Laurie Hooper, Ralph Peake, Martin Perkins, Chris Robertshaw, Bill Shimmins, Lawrence Skelly and Dewan Watterson. Mr Zahed Mir came agonisingly close. He secured 11 votes and needed just one more to qualify for a second round of voting with 12. In order to contest the election in the first place, hopeful candidates needed four supporters in the House of Keys, a nominator, a seconder and two further backers. However, at the other end of the voting fortunes, Danielle Bell received just three votes. She was nominated by Dr Alex Allenson, seconded by David Ashford and supported by Laurie Hooper and Howard Quayle. However, only Allenson, Ashford and Graham Crudine voted for her. Hafiza Hussein was nominated by Claire Barber, seconded by Dr Alex Allenson and then also supported by Laurie Hooper and Kate Costain. However, in the election, she received no votes. You can see those results in full on the Tinwald website. You've been listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Take care.